Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, assistant sports editor for Multimedia at the Post-Gazette. Joined today for some Penn State football talk by Seth Engel of the Daily Collegian. He's also doing some work for us uh, going into football season at the Post-Gazette. Seth, welcome to the YouTube channel. How are you? Thank you for having me, Adam. Yeah, I'm doing great. I just moved back into State College yesterday. So, you know, ready to roll, ready for, for football to start up again. Yeah, I mean, it, things things are happening, Seth. This this week, the Associated Press poll was released. Penn State is ranked number seven in that poll. Um, so that's when that's the moment when you're like, all right, this is right around the corner. Things are happening. We're going to be watching football here really in a, a period of about like 10 days because you'll have week zero games going off. I believe USC plays in that week zero. Um, so you'll have some, you know, not this weekend, but the following weekend, we're going to have some matchups to chew on. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't wait. I can't wait. Let's dig into that Penn State football ranking, Seth. They were number seven. They were the third team in the Big Ten. Obviously, Michigan and Ohio State are ahead of them in that pecking order. Um, I think you and I can agree that that's probably where they belong among the Big Ten teams. Then you had, I believe, Georgia at number one, Alabama at number four. LSU and USC were the other teams that were ahead of Penn State. Do you think that the voters got that one right? In terms of, I'll start with the teams that are ahead of them, and then maybe we can talk about some of the teams Penn State's ranked ahead of. Do you think that's all of the teams that are ahead of them are, are where they belong? I think it's right. Yeah, I mean, I think Penn State has the ability to maybe land inside of the top five at the end of the year. But at this point in the season, um, I mean, you kind of look at the team and you say, okay, well, they have the pieces, but there's still some some big question marks. And I think having a first-year starting quarterback paired with a first-year number one wide receiver, I think that's a big question, um, and we'll kind of see how that plays out in the first couple weeks of the season. Yeah, and I think I want to talk a little bit about the teams that are ranked a little bit behind them. I think you know, in both polls, Clemson is ranked behind Penn State, but that's something I think Penn State fans have not become used to in recent years is, is you know, they've been used to being ranked ahead of, of or behind Clemson, and, and that's I've always said that that's the program I think Penn State is trying to copy the model of because for years they were knocking right on the door. They were a 9-10, sometimes 11-win team that just wasn't the best team in the ACC and just couldn't break through. And then, you know, in the middle of the last decade, they finally started breaking through and they made that that jump that James Franklin likes to call the difference between, you know, a great program and an elite program. Do you think Penn State belongs ahead of Clemson? Do you think that we've that maybe we've started to to make that transition in the last couple of years, where you know maybe Penn State's rising above one of those top four, I think you know program teams that seems to be in the playoff every single year. Yeah, I mean, I do agree with you talking about kind of how Penn State wanted to follow that Clemson mold. Um, I think it was a challenge to you know maybe find the same success that Clemson did over the past decade based on just the talent alone in the Big Ten, which is so much different than in the ACC. But I think at this point, Penn State has really set themselves apart from, you know, a number of the schools across the country um, who are competing nationally just in terms of recruiting. Um, I, I think when it comes down to it, you know, the best teams are the ones with the best players. And Penn State really has produced some some great recruiting classes, especially last year. Like that's the big thing was was that, that freshman class last year. That's what's setting Penn State apart from – you know, every school in the country this year, other than, you know, six teams ahead of them is because they have this talented core, but all of them are only second year players. Um, 
And I don't think there are many other schools like that in the country that, that have that. Seth, can two Big Ten teams make the college football playoff this year? I, I think as we're looking at it, there's in the top, uh, let's go in the top 10, you've got Georgia, Alabama, LSU, um, in, out of the SEC. You've got two ACC teams in Clemson and Florida State at eight and nine. Um, the the Pac-12 teams are, are littering this, you know, maybe not the top 10. You've only got USC up there, but then you got Washington at 10. You got Utah at 14, Oregon at 15, Oregon State at 18. It feels like, you know, I'd be surprised if there are two spots for a Big Ten team this year, even at 11-1, and because I think you're going to have some really good conference champions that that are really going to make it a a different conversation than I think it was last year when there were a lot of good Pac-12 teams, but they all kind of fell off at the end of the year, and they never had, you know, once USC lost that uh, Pac-12 title game, they didn't have that argument. And and I don't know that things are going to break that that same way this year, or maybe they might. Maybe the fact that you have all these good teams – will create some parity at the top and, and maybe a, a, an 11-1 Big Ten team can can break through. I feel like we have the discussion with Penn State every year. If they go 11-1, can they make it? They just haven't gotten that 11-1 done. But let's just, for the sake of argument, say they finish 11-1, they beat either Michigan or Ohio State. What do you think the odds are that there is a second second spot in the uh, in the college football playoff for them? I think there is room for, for two Big Ten teams. And, and the reason is that – most of these teams ahead of Penn State in the AP poll right now have a first-year starting quarterback. Georgia, first-year starting quarterback. Ohio State's going to have a first-year starting quarterback. You know, that competition could potentially go into the season. Um, Alabama's going to have a first-year starting quarterback. So, I mean, just as many question marks as Penn State has on its offense right now, you know, you can be sure that a lot of these other um, national contenders are going through that same transition period and it's really hard to predict where things are going to end up based on that. You know, you can you can look at practices and and presume all you want, but until they actually step on the field and start a football game, it's really hard to pinpoint whether a team, you know, could potentially compete for a national championship. Yeah, I think that's a great point. There's there's a lot of unknown. That really there's a lot of unknown in every start of every college football season, but I think, you know, your point is well taken about first year starting quarterbacks and, and how they can be different. I feel like Penn State's been waiting for, I don't know, 15 years for for Ohio State to have that one-year drop-off with a first-year starting quarterback. So we'll see if that actually materializes. But, um, you know, anytime they do, I think it's it's interesting. And and I think especially because Penn State has a guy for the first time that you're really looking at as possibly an equal to whatever Ohio State has. And I I think that's a real difference maker. Um, Seth, I want to get into some camp observations. There was an open camp last week. Reporters got to see what was going on, who was running with the ones, who was running with the twos. The big thing that stuck out to me in the uh, update you guys had on the Daily Collegian website um, was that Dante Cephas was running with the twos. I think he was the big, um, you know, transfer portal addition in the offseason. There were a lot of programs that wanted him. A lot of people hailed him as, you know, one of the best players in the transfer portal. Um, But as of right now, he's running behind Keandre Lambert-Smith, who else do I have on this list? Amari Evans and Harrison Wallace are were the guys that were running with the ones. Where do you think Dante Cephas fits in this rotation for Penn State by you know week one against West Virginia? Um, and, and is he a guy that can work his way into that starting lineup and not just into the lineup but into a prominent role? I think it's really hard to pinpoint where he is right now. I mean, Franklin told us at media day that he was still you know in an adjustment period. Um, which is understandable 
But then you start to look at, okay, well, what is his timeline? Like this guy has been on campus now for three months and he's still, he's still in that adjustment period, um, which I think is, is worrisome, especially when you go to an open practice or you go to a normal practice and you don't see Dante Cephas take a single snap with the ones. Um, now I know things are, are subject to change in the next couple of weeks. Um, but as far as what we've seen, you know, it's looking like Keontre Lambert Smith, Harrison Wallace, and then Amari Evans in that in that third wide receiver spot, um, despite the fact that, you know, Cephas was the only one selected for, you know, the wide receiver award, like watch list, despite the fact that he hasn't claimed a starting spot when two others you know, pretty much already have. So um, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, I think they know what they're getting in Cephas. I think he showed a lot of potential at Kent State. Um but it's a lot different when you're when you're going against, you know, these those defenses and then you go into camp and you're going against one of the top secondaries in the country um, in Penn State. Do you think part of this is is any confidence that they have in Amari Evans and, and Harrison Wallace? I think, you know, there was excitement about Harrison Wallace last season. You just didn't see him, I think, in the volume that, that some people wanted. I think the same was true of Omari Evans to a lesser degree. I mean, are these guys just stepping up? Is that part of this narrative as well? Yeah, I think Trey Wallace stepped up, you know, big time in the spring. Uh, I think the expectation was after Tinsley and Parker Washington left that he was already going to be, you know, one of those two guys along with Keandre Lambert-Smith to really take the reins. And I, I think he has. Um, I think he's he's very athletic. Um, to your point, you know, we haven't seen too much in games from him. Um, he did get a, you know, a little increase in playing time last year, but not in a starting spot. Um so we'll kind of see what happens with him. But I think there's a lot of excitement for what he can bring. And the same goes for Lambert Smith. Um, Amari Evans, I think, is is it's similar. He only had 55 receiving yards last year and one touchdown. Um, but he played in, in you know, every game. So, you know, he knows what it's like to, to step on the field. I think it's just a matter of taking that next step from, okay, I'm a role player in the room to, okay, I can actually start and, like, help this team win football games. So I, I, yeah, I think, I think the potential is there for him. I think he's really fast. <laughs> That's what we hear. Yeah. I want to get into Keandre Lambert Smith a little bit too. I, I think he's been the guy that, you know, I was up there for media day two years ago. I talked to him. Seems like a great kid, but the, the, the narrative then two years ago was the same as the, I think the narrative is now, um, you know, can he, can he step up? Can he be one of these guys that's, that's, can he join that great recent lineage of, of Penn state receivers and, and we just really haven't seen him hit that next gear yet. He had that great catch in the Rose Bowl, so I think you have to, you know, put that in his – I wonder if we're going to look at that as his breakout moment. But to this point, you know, we haven't necessarily seen it on a consistent basis. And that's something that James Franklin was talking about in, in that news conference with regard to Dante Cephas as well. Do you think that Keandre Lambert-Smith is, is in that same category of guys that have to prove that they can do it week in and week out? And what do you think his capability is to, to be able to do that? I think that everyone on the offense, except for maybe two or three offensive linemen and then Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, and then the tight ends probably have to prove themselves. Like, And this goes for whole position groups. Um, there is a lot of turnover. So that whole quarterback room and then a number of offensive linemen stepping up and then that whole wide receiver room, it, it, they all have to prove themselves. And that's That's where they are right now. And Keandre Lambert-Smith is a guy who we've been waiting to break out, like you said, for the past two seasons. 
And last year, everyone thought, okay, um, Jahan Dawson's gone. You know, he's going to step up and, and now maybe explode. And he really didn't until those final two weeks of the season. Uh, Michigan State, he had 83 receiving yards. And then in the Rose Bowl against Utah, he had 124 and, you know, broke the Rose Bowl longest uh, passing touchdown record. But, it, you know, he didn't – it wasn't until then that he really that he really broke out. So I think he has the ability, but it's just, you know, it's a show-don't-tell situation. Like, I think he he believes he can be the number one. I think those around him believe he can be the number one. Um, but the same thing with Aller. Like, until he actually steps on the field in that number one role against Big Ten defenses, like, that's going to that's gonna show you kind of what he really is. Are these Penn State receivers as a whole good enough uh, to, to make a serious run at a college football playoff? I, I, I ask that question because I don't know that they're going to be necessarily, you know, the, the pressure is not going to be only on them. You're going to have Drew Aller being able to make throws. You're going to be having, you know, Nicholas Singleton and, and Katron Allen, who I think are going to be kind of the backbone here. You're going to have those tight ends that you mentioned. So there's a lot of weapons here, and, and I don't think they necessarily need to have a guy that's like, a Marvin Harrison Jr. or anything, but are they good enough to supplement those core pieces to the point that this offense can do what it needs to do against the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world and not just the Indianas and, and the Rutgers and, and the uh, uh, Maryland's? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Penn State is very deep. So they have a very deep receiving core. There's a lot of depth there, um, obviously lacking maybe – some of those standout one or two guys at the top. But like you mentioned, I mean, they have support. Like those two tight ends, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, people aren't talking about this enough, but like they could primarily run 12 personnel with two tight ends. They don't need to run three wide receivers all the time because they have two tight ends who have shown that they can play and they play different play styles. You know, they, they're, they're great blockers. I think Theo Johnson is, um, is great downfield. So he could, you know, play a wide receiver type of role. Tyler Warren, you know, does whatever. We saw T formation last year. So I think there's a lot the offense can do. And, you know, also, like you mentioned, the running backs. I think Nick Singleton and Katron Allen are two of the best running backs in the country. Um, and that's a tandem. So obviously you don't want to be one-dimensional. You want to be able to play both sides. But I think there are options to kind of move around if maybe, you know, Keandre or Trey Wallace – doesn't step up as you know that standout wide receiver in those first few weeks. Is there anyone else who's stood out to you so far in, in camp, Seth? Anything that you've either observed or or you've seen other people observe and write about? Um, you know that catches your eyes as po- potentially an important development as we you know get into the season here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's still a number of, of competitions. Um, I think middle linebacker between Tyler Elston and Kobe King is. No, that was a competition last offseason, too. That's not necessarily a dire one because I think either of those guys could start. Um, safety is another one that's similar to that. Jalen Reed and Zuki Wheatley both deserve to start games. Um, it's just a matter of they're just so deep in the secondary. Um, but, I mean, other than that, I think the main thing with this Penn State team is that they do have some of the best players in the country, like hands down. There, there are players on that board – that will be taken in the first round next year and will be all Americans. It's just a matter of those question marks really figuring themselves out early in the season. 
I do want to get into the quarterbacks a little bit, Seth. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes you know you don't want to build too much hype for the situation because I think it kind of is what it is. You're pretty much expecting Drew Aller is going to be the guy. Um, I don't know that there's as much drama there as as James Franklin's public statements are kind of building up. And oh, it's a competition. Everyone's out there. I think we know he's the guy, which is why I didn't want to kind of lead with that and, and sensationalize it in any way. My question for you is: is he brought up Jackson Smolik in his uh, media day press conference as, as a guy who's really stepping up, really proving himself. So now you've got Bro Perula, um, and you've got three quarterbacks, I think, that they feel really good about. And in this day and age of college football, that doesn't seem like a sustainable situation. Um, so let me ask the question this way, Seth. Of those three guys that they're excited about, how many do you think are in Penn State camp a year from now behind Drew Allen? You're saying in terms of – you're saying how many quarterbacks do you think they'll have they'll have next year that they have on roster right now? Of those three guys, of those three guys that that you know he's he's really excited about, I think at least one of them is going to transfer just because yeah. that's the nature of the sport at this point. Um, but you know, Penn State also hasn't been hit as hard by the transfer portals. I think some over, other programs have been. So I, I guess it's a question of you know what do you think the the stability is in that quarterback room? Yeah, I think you can kind of look at at. Christian Veyer's um, experience with Penn State and say, well, this is this might be the timeline for, you know, when you might head out. I mean, Drew Aller, if he is the quarterback that many think that he will be, he probably won't be staying past next season anyway, because um, he'll have draft eligibility. Um, so that's something I think that Jackson Smolik has in mind. Um, and then they also have another quarterback coming in, four-star Ethan Grunkmeyer, um, who's another talent. Bo Prabula we've heard good things about, you know, he's obviously stretched out this competition, I think far longer than anyone thought that he was going to. I think he brings a lot to the table. It's still just another thing of like, do we know that he can play against big 10 defenses? And that's, we saw that with, with Christian Bayer when he stepped into that Rutgers game in 2021, that was his tryout for kind of the rest of the country um, as a, as a transfer piece. So if he gets that opportunity, um, which he probably will at some point this year, just like Drew did as the backup last year. I think that's going to show, you know, kind of how much potential Bo could have as, as a transfer piece next offseason. But it's hard to pinpoint right now. Seth, I also want to get into Bruce Feldman of the Athletics Freaks list. Uh, it was just published right before we started recording here on Tuesday morning. Um, there are six Penn State players on it. Abdul Carter's there. Uh, Nick Singleton's there. Um, Chop Robinson is there. And I think they have by far the, the most players. Uh, it's 100 players that, that Bruce Feldman ranks as freaks, either physically, skill-wise, things like that. Um, I don't know. I don't. Is it a top 100 ranking of the best college football players in the country? I don't know. Because uh, you, you leave Goff. I, I don't think I saw Caleb Williams on there. I think you leave off a lot of quarterbacks because they're not typically someone you look at and say that guy's a physical freak. Um, so I don't necessarily know how to take a list like that, but it's got to be a good thing that Penn State has six guys on there, right? Yeah, it says a lot. This is what I was talking about before. Like this team, they're, they're going to have first rounders next year um, and in the future. So, I mean, Chop Robinson, Olu Fashionu. I don't know if Kalen King was on there, which was surprising because he you know, could be the best cornerback in the country this year. You know, those three all have the potential to be first round picks next year. Uh, very easily. Um, so 
I think Penn State has the pieces to kind of do it. There are some other names on there too. I think Jordan Van- Vandenberg is um, a name that people should know about. He went viral for, you know, his uh, he he just went crazy in the in the in the weight room this off season. Um, you know, had some Saquon Barkley esque uh, workout videos. So he's a guy I think with a kind of depleted defensive tackle room. Um, due to the injury of Alonzo Ford, I think he's a guy that could step up this year. And I, I think he was the the highest ranked Penn State player on that list, um, which is funny since, you know, many don't even know him and he's surrounded by all these other great players. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Penn State has freaks. I think that's what they want, right? That's, that's kind of, when you look at Michigan football, you see these freak defensive tackles, these freak O-linemen. Um, I think Penn State wanted to follow that mold and now we're kind of, seeing that pay off for them. Yeah, I mean, to Penn State's credit, they've always kind of had – you mentioned Saquon Barkley. I mean, that's that's getting on six, seven years ago now that he was doing all of those things. And, and it was just – I think this is a reflection of getting more guys like that, right, is is you had one and you saw what a huge difference he was able to make by being, I think, you know, leaps and bounds better physically than, than most of the guys he was playing against. Um, and, and so now you have like a half dozen of those guys in a, you know, 22-man starting lineup – I, I will be interested to see how that plays out because um, it's one of those things that it's hard to quantify. How how much does this matter um, until you kind of get to see them line up and 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 start making plays? But yeah, I, I think that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow. I want to get you out of here on this, Seth. Um, obviously, we've we've had a little bit of time now to digest Oregon and Washington joining the Big Ten. I don't want to get into the big picture stuff because I think that's been talked to death in the last handful of weeks, but. Let's talk specifically about how it impacts Penn State, and let's talk specifically. I think about the the near term here of twenty twenty five or twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five, which I think it, a lot of people are looking at as as you know maybe Penn State peaks next year and and in twenty twenty five. Do you think the addition of Oregon and Washington and the potential to displace you know USC and Ohio State on that twenty twenty four schedule? could be a good thing or a bad thing if, if you're a Penn State fan. Because I think the argument that it, it would be a bad thing is if you get to play Ohio State and USC and you beat one of those teams and you take care of business against the rest of your schedule, I think you're locked to make a 12-team playoff. Um, but now if you don't have one of those opportunities and maybe you slip up against the team, you're 10-2, and two, maybe you don't have the same resume. What do you think the potential impact here of Oregon and Washington jumbling the Big Ten schedules for the next couple of years could be for Penn State? Yeah, it's 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 hard to to even pinpoint or, or game plan for because we still don't know what that scheduling format's going to look like, um, which is really difficult, and we don't know who they're going to play. Um, I think when you kind of insert in Oregon and Washington, the first thing that jumps to me is okay, this is just two more talented teams joining the conference that that Penn State's a part of, um, which is never an easy thing. We'll see how they kind of dictate the schedule and and. Uh, you know, hand out, you know, opponents and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think on its base, it's just long-term, you know, these are two more talented teams that have proven themselves over the past couple of decades. Um, you know, I think another big impact this could have is on recruiting. Uh, Penn State, you know, seldom recruits on the West Coast, but does that change now that they're competing with more teams or do they stay put? Um, I think there are, there are a lot of changes that we will see you know, in the next two years, uh, just something to keep an eye on. 
Yeah, I think they're going to keep. I think they're going to keep at least that USC game on the books next year, Seth. Um, yeah. I think that's that's too marquee a matchup. You have the the re you know the rematch of the 2016 Rose Bowl. Um, it'd be USC's first trip to Happy Valley in a long time. I think that's going to be a marquee television date they want to keep. What I'm I'm curious about is, do you keep that Penn State Ohio State game on there? It is annually one of the highest rated games of yeah. the year for TV. But you know, are you going to want Ohio State playing in Oregon? Are you going to want want them heading somewhere else? Um, because there's, I think there's, you know, there's Oregon and, and Ohio State parallels there. Where I think a lot of people would want to watch that game. Um, what do you think? How do you think that this is is going to shake out? in the end in terms of those two marquee games? Do you think Penn State will keep both, one, or potentially not? I think that USC makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at the core of this whole expansion is TV. You know, this is all media rights. That's, that's why the Pac-12 died, and that's why the Big Ten expanded. I think USC and Penn State are two of the biggest brands collegiately in the world, um, and I think people want to watch that. As for Ohio State – I think, you know, that's another game that could potentially, you know, draw a lot of eyes. Um, I don't think that Ohio State and Oregon would be an ideal matchup just because they just played a couple of years ago. Um, but I think, I, no, I think there is room to potentially keep both of those games. I think they make sense. Uh, but that's definitely what the Big Ten is discussing right now is, okay, like, how can we get the most out of our viewership, but then also how do we make it fair? Cause they have, you know, it's a big bucket of gold right now that they're, that they're sitting looking at. Um, but they also have the opportunity to make some programs really mad by making their schedules too tough. So we'll see what happens. But I, I think, I think there is room to keep both of those games. I will say it can't get much worse in terms of the 2025 home schedule for Penn state. I think UCLA was the highlight previously before they had to tear things up. Um, to add Oregon and Washington. So I think if you're a Penn State fan, you'd love to see one of those programs coming through Happy Valley in 2025 um, just because, I mean, that that was a brutal schedule, Seth. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, I think 2024 would have been the year, and then 25, it, it was going to get difficult. So, you know, Penn State may have, may have, saved, uh, may have saved one there by uh, Big Ten expanding, but – well, in, in, at the end here, Seth, any final thoughts? We're going to sign off here in a second, but we're going to be doing this weekly, so we'll, we'll have plenty of chances to talk about it, You know everything that's going on in Penn State land, Happy Valley. Um, but any final thoughts for the week before we uh, we sign off here? Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Adam. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, this, this was fun. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited. We, last year we did, for those of you who might just be joining us for the first time, we kind of did a Thursday video where we talked about both Pitt and Penn State, but I don't know if you know this, Seth. Pitt and Penn State fans don't necessarily like to be oh, oh, really? swimming in the same ponds together um, for long periods of time. So we're splitting these shows out for the for the coming season. We're going to have um, Pitt football on Thursday with Noah Hiles. Um, we're working on the details of that. There, there might be some surprises for you there. And then we're going to have Penn State football in this spot on Wednesday mornings. Um, so I, I think that's a, it's a good step for the Post-Gazette YouTube channel, Seth, to have you, your expertise, and uninterrupted Penn State talk for the Penn State fans out there um, as opposed to just kind of having to talk about both programs. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm uh, looking forward to joining. All right, everyone. Well, we will talk to you next week here on the Penn State Show. And Just make sure you're subscribed. Uh, later in the day, we're going to have Christopher Carter on the North Shore Drive talking all things 
Steelers training camp. Things are wrapping up at St. Vincent College in Latrobe. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you like this video if you enjoyed it. Help us out in the YouTube algorithm. Um, and otherwise, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette.